We sang about how I'll stand, and I'm going to sit down. So. <laughs> All right, so we are continuing our study in First Peter. Um, title is Prepared for a Winning Relationship. We'll see how this goes. Um, first, first Peter, at its core, is is a letter about suffering. That word pops up, I think, 16 or 17 times just in this one letter. And uh, remember, he's writing this at a time the church is new. It's uh, early days of Christianity. And the Christians are facing persecution under Roman rule. And so he knew that these new believers uh, in Jesus, living under Roman rule, they're going to deal with some serious suffering. He could see the writing on the wall. Things were going to get worse before they got better. And so he wanted them to be prepared for what they were about to face. So that's part of why we called this series Prepared. So, but the thing about suffering, right, is that it can, it can build you up and bind you together. You know, in, in football in the summer, you know, we would do two-a-days, you know, two practices a day. It's miserable, and, and it helps build team chemistry and, and all that. At least that's what they said. I think it was just a way for middle-aged guys to torture teenagers, but... You know, uh, but suffering can bind people together and, and, and build things up, or it can tear us apart, right? It's, so much of it is about how we uh, come out the other side of it, right? It's, it's about our, our attitude toward the situation and toward those people who may, in our perception, be responsible for our suffering. So last week, Pastor Chris uh, finished up chapter 2, and we're going to hit a few verses from that chapter, just to kind of give us our context, you know, the, the train of thought that Peter's on. Uh, so we'll read a few verses here, and then we'll, we'll pray. First uh, Peter 2, verse 13, said, uh, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him by the, uh, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Then down in verse 18, it said, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to, the, to those who are unreasonable. Right? So you could substitute employees. Right? Listen to your bosses. Not just to the ones who are good and reasonable, but even the bad ones. Uh, because submission, it's, it's, this, it's an interesting word, Right? Uh, I don't know about you, but when I hear submission, the first word I think, or the first thing I think of is like the UFC, right? Cage fighting. You get somebody in a rear naked choke and they either pass out or they submit, right? They tap out, right? They give up. But that word, it's, it, you can't, uh, you know, over the years, uh, I've had husbands come to me before and say, how do I make my wife submit? And I'm like, well, you can choke her out. <laughs> but that's not what this word means, right? Uh, that word is to voluntarily carry a burden. Right? That's what the word submission really means. So it's not being forced into doing something. It's voluntarily do- carrying a burden, you know, doing something that's difficult, putting up with someone who's difficult. Um, with gentleness, whether they deserve it or not. So you can't make someone volunteer. 
Uh, verse 21, it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an, an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So even though Jesus suffered unjustly, uh, it wasn't fair. He deserved better, right? Uh, He voluntarily carried the burden of our sin upon the cross, and then he left the results up to God. So that's... That's kind of, that's the, uh, the train of thought that Peter's been on, right? Yes, there's suffering. Your job is to, you know, to deal with it the right way, to carry this burden the right way, um, and, and trust the results to the Lord. And so we get into chapter 3, and like I said, First Peter, this whole letter, at its core, is about suffering. Now, it's five chapters, so we're in chapter three. We're in the middle of the book, right? We're in the, the heart of the thing. We're in the, the meat of this letter. As we enter the midpoint, the heart of the letter about suffering, he naturally talks about marriage. You can do with that what you will. We'll pray, and we'll get into it. Lord, uh, thank you this morning for allowing us to be here and uh, just for giving us the opportunity to study your word. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to be ready to receive the truth of your word and not just leave here um, more academically prepared, but Lord, that we would be, uh, have our hearts prepared to serve others and serve you. Lord, we, uh, we pray for your blessing on the message and on your people and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've I've had some stuff going on lately. I've been a little harder to live with than than usual. And uh, and so, I I just, I swear Pastor Chris does this to me on purpose. Every time he leaves town, it's always, oh, hey, you get to preach this message about giving. Or this week, uh, well, the first verse. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you for that. I get to cover that one. And so in, in this chapter, Peter, he, he talks about marriage, and he, he, de- he devotes six verses to wives and one verse to husbands. Uh, now, to be fair, Paul, in one of his letters, does kind of the inverse. He devotes a lot more. Uh, to husbands and, and only a few to wives. But I think Peter, remember, he's talking about the, the, the context is suffering, right? Difficulty, dealing with hard times. And so before we get a big head and go, yeah, see, wives, you need a lot more instruction than us guys, right? That's not what Peter was saying. He was like, no, wives, it's a lot harder for you dealing with Dumbo over there, you know? Uh, so we're going to give you a little bit more instruction. So uh, but yeah, like I said, I've been a little bit more difficult to live with here lately, uh, and it was just one of those things, I'm like, oh, thanks, Chris, for giving me a sermon about uh, marriage. So, First uh, Peter 3, verse 1, it says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, 
they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So, first thing he says, in the same way, right? In the same way of all the things we just read about in chapter 2. In the same way that Jesus voluntarily carried a burden. In the same way that Jesus treated people better than they deserved. Trusting that God would sort it out in the end. You take that same approach to your relationship with your spouse. Now, when we get into these types of topics, and when we start talking about um, men's roles and women's roles and submission and all that kind of stuff, uh, it can right away make us defensive, make us uh, leery of what we're about to hear. But I just want to... I just want you, want you to have a, a clear picture of who Peter was writing to and what was going on in the world at the time. Because remember, these are believers living under Roman rule. And in Greco-Roman culture, uh, they gave women no rights at all. Uh, there was a thing called uh, patria protestis, which is just power of the father. And what that was is basically uh, the, the man of the house basically owned his family. He owned his children to the point that he could even, if they were dis- disobedient enough, he could just say, you know what, this one's a dud, and they could execute their own children. Yeah, some of the dads were like, really? No. Not, not that I would do it, but it would be nice to have that as a, as a threat, right? No. Uh, They had that sort of power and that sort of authority over their homes. So they they owned their children, owned their daughters, and and, and until that daughter was married, and then the ownership of her was transferred to her new husband. That was the culture Peter was addressing. And Jewish culture wasn't any better. That's what Peter was more familiar with. Uh, Women had no real rights. There was actually a typical morning prayer that a lot of Jewish men at the time would pray was that, uh, blessed are you, O Lord, uh, for you have not made me a woman. Like that was something that men would thank the Lord for. So I'm throwing that out there so that if you go, oh, this is old-fashioned and antiquated, that was what they were dealing with. Right, you know, this this was a much more difficult time. And something to keep in mind, I was talking with Eric about this uh, a week or two ago. Just because something exists in the Bible does not at all infer that God prescribed it or endorsed it. Right, because sometimes people will be like, well, you know, in the Bible, so-and-so had this many wives. I'm like, yeah, that God never said that was okay. It was such a weird thing that they wrote it down in the Bible. You know, and, and in the Bible, this, per, this, uh, this guy slept with his daughter or whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's gross. And it was so gross, they wrote it down in the Bible. You know, so just because something's in there doesn't necessarily mean that's uh, what God prefers, right? And so that was the culture. That was how people were treated. But God goes ag- against that grain. Jesus actually went against the grain, and he empowered women. Uh, he chastised men for their treatment of women. And he made it really clear that they were equal in God's eyes. 
So, like I said, remember the context. I want you to be prepared for the culture that you're living in. Because that's how this letter started. Remember that you are aliens here, right? If you believe in Jesus, this is not home. It's never going to be like it should be. But here's how you're going to get by while you're spending time here in this foreign territory. Uh, It's not how it's supposed to be. But since you're here, I'm calling you to humbly endure as your personal ministry to the Lord. That's what Peter's called them to. And I think, you know, he had seen Jesus model this stuff for him. In so many ways. In Mark 10, verse 42, Jesus, he'd he'd been hearing uh, some of the disciples kind of argue amongst themselves about who was going to be the most important and who would have the best position. And it says this, he says, Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Right? Jesus was all about turning things upside down. He says, you know, in my economy, it's not about who holds the higher position because the people that I'm going to honor the most are the ones who voluntarily carried the burden of a lower position, of a a more difficult path. And so when you gently and lovingly serve someone, that's more valuable to him than anything. And it's it's more valuable, it has more impact even than your words. We'll go back in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. It says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, in other words, these are people, these, maybe you, uh, you're a believer and your husband is not. Right? He's disobedient to the word. Or maybe he's a believer but doesn't live it, doesn't walk it, right? doesn't have the same priorities as you. Even if that's the case, he says, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Now, don't get, don't get it twisted, right? Submission should never compromise your relationship with God. But he's calling you to, to, uh, to voluntarily carry the burden of a of maintaining a healthy relationship with your husband, whether he's doing his job or not. That doesn't seem fair, but he didn't call you to do what's fair, right? He said, I want you to serve, not be served. So that, in practical terms, that means, um, you know, you honor your husband, uh, even if uh, he doesn't have the same priorities as you, so long as he's not asking you to do something that is disobedient to God's word. So, so uh, you know, if, if he comes home and says, Honey, uh, get dressed. We're going to go knock off the liquor store at the, down at the corner. That would be disobedient to the word. We can't, you know, you can't make you commit a crime. Um, but uh, aside from, you know, tr- calling you to do something that's, actu- you know, forbidden by the word, uh, you, try to, you try to maintain the relationship as best you can. 
And if you're a believer and he isn't, uh, remember that he's probably threatened a little bit. Because all of a sudden his wife is in love with someone else. She's in love with this Jesus that he doesn't know anything about. And that's threatening. One thing we've seen statistically, it's just proven over and over, is that uh, when, a, when a man, especially if the kids are younger, when he comes into a relationship with the Lord, in pretty short order, the rest of his family follows. It can be much more difficult the other way around. When she comes to the Lord, maybe the kids do, but it's really hard for him to. And I think there's, there's some weird jealousy stuff that happens there. Regardless, though, he's, this word disobedient, you know, obedience, disobedience, it's weird, right? That's a, a weird term. We don't like, I don't like anybody telling me what to do. But here's the, the weird thing about obedience, I think, is that you can obey and still be disobedient in your heart. You may remember this as a kid. When your parents told you to do something, you did it, but the whole time you were like, in, you know, in your, in your head, right? Stupid. You know, you grumble. Uh, you, can, you can follow the letter of the law while still being completely disobedient in your mind and in your heart. But that's not the only thing that he calls us to. He, he says, you, I don't want you to just obey. I want you to submit. You can't submit unless your heart is right. Because, what did we say earlier, you can't force someone to volunteer, right? That doesn't work. But he says, you can win them over, even if he's disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word. Without a word. People are, I've never met the person yet that was argued and browbeaten into loving Jesus. I just don't know that it happens. Um, I have met people who saw Jesus and his love being modeled by people around them and were drawn to him that way. We'll read on though. First Peter 3, verse 3. He says, Your adornment must not be merely external. Your adornment. This word adornment, it's uh, the word cosmos. That's where we get uh, cosmology, um, it's, it means order, orderly, right? So, in other words, like if someone, uh, if a lady, you know, has her, her hair's great and her makeup's great and she's dressed really nice, we, she, we say, like, she's really put together, right? That's, you know, her, her uh, physical appearance is very orderly, you know? She's really taken great care, great... Uh, you know, taking time to, to look that way. And he says, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. And there are, uh, there are a few groups in uh, Christianity. I grew up in one that had this view that um, they would take this verse as making a case that women should not have jewelry, uh, not wear jewelry or, you know, cut their hair. Um, and, you know, that 
all that stuff was bad. And I always thought that was funny because they left out the, the third part of it. I'm like, so they shouldn't wear clothes either? You know? Because that's uh, he, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses or putting on clothes. And like, they left that part out. Um, J. Vernon McGee uh, used to say about this that, you know, if a barn needs painting, paint it. Right? It's, it's okay to, if you want to wear makeup or uh, have your hair done or whatever. Um, you can paint the house however you like, but it's, you need to furnish it with character. Right? That the, uh, your whole attraction shouldn't just be on the outside. Verse 4, he says, But let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. You know, if your beauty is only skin deep, that's, there's a problem. Your, your inner adornment, your cosmos, your being put together on the inside, that matters just as much. And that wasn't a, a new concept. And, and Proverbs 11, verse 22, uh, I love how this is worded. He says, As a ring of gold and a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. You know, you don't win at marriage by being a good-looking nag, you know. Uh, (laughs) uh, Guys might put up with that for a little while, but what's inside matters more and more as time goes on. I've always thought that people are are a little bit like stained-glass windows, you know, that they look great when the sun is out, uh, but in the dark... They're only beautiful if there's light on the inside. But Peter says here, it's, it's about your heart. He, and he says, a gentle and quiet spirit. Or your, your Bible, your translation may say, um, a meek spirit. And again, he's not saying, you know, you just need to be this little church mouse doormat of a, of a person. Um, meek doesn't mean what maybe you think it means. That word... Literally, it was a, a horse training word. It, was, it meant power under control. It's what you would say of a, of a, you know, a racehorse that is, is completely trained by its master. He's saying, you, you, uh, what matters most, what's going to win your relationship over the most, is, is having power under control of the master your emotions are under control of the master right everything i do is is guided by the lord because man looks at the outward appearance but the the lord looks at the heart you know it's something we we see over and over but he he says not only that it um that you should have you know this this gentleness to your spirit but he he says a quiet a gentle and quiet spirit and this one takes a little work. The other one can take work, but this especially can take work. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but most women tend to be a little more verbal than men. Huh. 
But I've seen all kinds of different statistics, and some people dispute them one way or the other. But in general, the, the, the consensus is that women communicate about two to three times as much as men. And, and you know, it's not true of everyone, uh, but that's a safe, uh, a pretty safe bet, I'd say. Uh, and, you know, for some, you know, we, I'm asking you to be quiet. And you may say, well, that's just not the way I am. Too bad. Over and over, we're called to do things that don't come naturally to us. See, God loves you just the way you are. And he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Now, this stuff will get me in trouble. Uh, and guys, uh, feel free to deny that you agree with me on any of this on the way home. Uh, but... Again, he says, if you, you want to have a winning relationship, try to do what comes not naturally to you. Maybe listen more and speak a little less. We'll read on, verse 5. He says, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. <laughs> so try that one out when you get home. They're, all the guys are like, stop. I, I make Gana call me Lord all the time. <laughs> now, this is, <laughs> this is a, um, he's saying, you know, he, she treated him with respect, right? Um, he says, uh, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. So, apparently, Sarah called him Lord, or Master, and basically just show, means she showed him respect. There's a guy, um, a series, we used to um, do a relationship class with some of their material, uh, love and respect. I think it was Emerson Egrich, or Egrich. Uh, but he said this. He said that men who feel respected are spurred on in their efforts. Those who feel diminished withdraw from the relationship. If you spotlight and celebrate your husband's strengths, you'll see him come to life. If he hears you bragging about him rather than complaining about him, he will be drawn to you. The opposite is also true. If a man feels he can't do anything right, if all he hears about are the things he's doing wrong, if he feels like a failure, he will drift further and further away. And, and we've, um, Christian and secular psychologists alike agree that that is one of the, uh, the main driving factors for men is the, the, the need to feel respected. You may read that and go, okay, yeah, great. Sarah honored her husband and respected him. But I'm not married to an Abraham. And, you know, I, he was no treat himself. We, we like to hold up the, the, some of the folks in the Bible as, well, you know, he was perfect because he's Father Abraham, right? Uh, and he was far from it. He was no treat himself. Basically, this is how life went with Abraham. Is one day he says, honey, I had a vision. Uh, we're going to sell everything we have and move somewhere. I don't know where. Uh, 
and we're going to go to this place that we don't even speak the same language. And when we get there, um, you have to pretend to be my sister. And then I'm going to give the best part of the land to my loser nephew. And uh, then I'm going to take one of our kids up a hill and possibly sacrifice him. We'll see you in a few days. That, that was life with Abraham, right? Uh, yeah, he was a man of faith, uh, but he, he made all kinds of terrible decisions. And he was irresponsible, unpredictable. Sometimes his plans completely blew up in his face. Conversely, Sarah is an interesting choice to model yourself after. Because, yeah, she did honor her husband, even though he didn't always deserve it. But there were, I seen, you know, on the surface, there were better people to choose to model yourself after. You know, what about Ruth as this, this, you know, great woman of faith? Uh, there, you know, there's other, you've got Deborah, who was one of the judges and was a strong, powerful woman, you know. Why Sarah? Sarah wanted uh, a baby so bad that she told her husband to go ahead and commit adultery with her handmaiden so that they could have kids, and so he did, and then she got jealous and mad at him because he did what she told him to do. Uh, that's never happened to anybody. Uh, eventually, she actually had her own son, and then the jealousy really got ramped up, and she made Abraham throw his first son out and that kid's mom out on the street in order to keep the peace. This is some, like, Maury Povich, Jerry Springer stuff, right? This is some major family drama. And the reality is we're still fighting in the Middle East to this day because of those decisions. You know, the whole Isaac and Ishmael thing. So why did Peter choose her as an example? I think it was because of all that stuff, right? Uh, Because she was imperfect. And you are not ever going to be the perfect wife and he will never be the perfect husband Uh, he's not always right and I know this is shocking but you're not always right either we're imperfect people so all that being said and the wives are like okay great move on right what about him because there are six verses here about wives uh, and then Peter dedicates one whole verse to husbands. But to be fair, like I said, in Ephesians, Paul does the inverse. He dedicates two verses to wives and nine verses to husbands. Uh, The one verse that Peter gives the men is a potent one. We'll look at it. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. He says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Learn to understand your wife. That's no small feat. Right? He says, learn to know, come to know your wife. As with someone, now this is where it gets sketchy, right? As with someone weaker, since she is a woman, uh, and show her honor as a fellow heir in the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So there's a bunch of stuff going on in that one verse. First of all, he says, you know, know your wife. 
a lot of us, we, we spend a lot of energy winning our wives over when we're dating. And then once we're married, well, mission accomplished, now I move on to other things. And, and we cease to really uh, pour that type of energy into our spouse that we once did. He says, no, that's not how it's supposed to be with you. You need to learn to know your wife, to understand your wife. And like I said, this verse may seem antiquated and barbaric, but it was, it was revolutionary. And in a society where women had no say and no rights, Peter says, you need to learn to understand your wife. And to understand, you need to listen. And you need to treat her with respect. And know that she is just as much a child of the king as you are. But he, he, he says, as, uh, as with someone weaker, or the weaker vessel, your, your Bible may say. Uh, you know, he's reminding them, look, you need to protect her and make her feel safe. And I know this is like a shocking thing to say today, but um, for the most part, women are anatomically frailer than their husbands. Uh, you know, we are bigger and stronger in theory. It's not always the case. We all know couples that it's flipped around and people get all offended about it. But the reality is, for the most part, yeah, most guys are bigger than their wives. And he's, saying, he's reminding them, look, she's not one of your buddies. You don't treat her just like, you know, you're, you're one of your buddies. You treat her differently. You protect her as if she's a treasure worthy of protection. She needs to know that you are there for her, and if need be, you would die for her. Because remember, Paul gave us the imagery of the, the church as we're the bride and, and, and he's the groom, right? The Lord is the groom. And he protected us and made us feel safe and secure to the point of death on the cross. He died in our place. So that's part of how we're to, to treat our wives. And he, and he throws this little thing in at the end. He goes, uh, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, again, it's not saying that if you mistreat your wife and then you pray, God's like, huh, what's that? Who's that? Sorry. You know, it's not like you can't hear your prayer. But don't for a minute think that you can abuse or mistreat your wife and it not affect your relationship with God. Because in our relationship with him, he's the husband, we're the wife, and here's the reality is that we cheat on him. We don't show him respect. And yet he loves us and protects us anyway. To the point of death on the cross. So that's the thing. We can read passages like this and say, well, okay, whatever. That doesn't apply to me. I'm not a wife or I'm not a husband or I, you know, I'm really good at this stuff so I don't need to hear about it. I haven't met that person yet. But Peter wraps it up, though, this way. First Peter 3. I'm going to read this out of the message. I just like uh, how he worded it. He says, summing up, verse 8, Be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. And that goes for all of you. No exceptions, whether you're married or not. Right? Verse 9, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. Snub evil. Cultivate good. Run after peace for all you're worth. 
God looks on all of this with approval, listening and responding well to what he's asked. Uh, but he turns his back on those who do evil things. I was reading uh, something from Zig Ziglar. Some of you maybe read some of his books about communicating and success and all that kind of stuff. But he received a letter from someone who um, they thought, you know, what do I do now? I think I married the wrong person. And this is how he responded. He said, I have no way of knowing whether or not you married the wrong person. But I do know that if you treat the wrong person like the right person, you could well end up having married the right person after all. It's far more important to be the right kind of person than it is to marry the right person. I, my grandpa ta taught me growing up something simple. He said, you know, you never have to apologize for doing the right thing. Relationships are hard, but they're not complicated. We make them that way. You treat the other person better than they deserve, and you do what doesn't come naturally, and you learn to appreciate that we're wonderfully different. And that's it. That's all it takes. So I'll leave you with this question, because I'm running a little bit long. Would you treat your spouse or significant other, would you treat them differently if you found out that they had inherited $10 billion? You'd be like, can I make you a sandwich? You know, what, what, do you, what do you, what's going on? What can I do for you? You need a back rub, you know? <laughs> well, Peter reminds us, we are fellow heirs of the grace of life. Right? You are that your spouse or your significant other is an heir to the king of the universe, the owner of everything. The devil wants you to see every flaw in that person. And God says you need to look at them as the treasure they are. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you this morning that that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Lord, that you treat us better than we deserve. That your love doesn't wane based on how we've acted lately or treated you or, or, or how much attention we've paid. That you love us so much more than we can comprehend. God, we just pray that you would strengthen us to love others that same way. Not just our spouses, but our kids, our friends, our co-workers, Lord. Help us to see people the way you see them. Help us to go against our nature. We know our flesh wants what's worst. You want what's best. Lord, where we feel the urge to withdraw, we pray that your Spirit would encourage us to, to dive deeper into the relationship. Where we feel the urge to criticize, Lord, let your spirit encourage us to, to, to lift others up. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet here on earth. We know you've called us to love in the same way you loved us, and we just pray you help us to understand that better and to be able to pass it on. And above all, Lord, we pray that you come and come quickly. And all God's people said,
Amen. All right. Ready? Break. All right.